This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore humanity. We're all exploring what it means to be human these days and redefining our place in this world and maybe even the universe. With this podcast, you and I will take that journey together. Hi, this is Tony Tolato, and on Rewind Today, a new episode looking back at Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery, and this is Part 1. I have my coverage of the roundtables at New York Comic Con, which was recorded at Madison Square Garden. Anson Mount joins the cast as Captain Christopher Pike, as he has an important mission to Captain the Discovery and lead her to solve a mystery. Did he approach the character like a blank page to make him his own? No, not like a blank page. There's a lot to go on in terms of the the first script and my conversations with the writers and what source material that there was. And I knew that they wanted somebody very opposite of Lorca. So that was a... There's a lot of clues there. You know, having... Having operated as a, a lead in a television show before, um, you know when you go to so when you go to acting school, the the one thing that they don't teach you is that one day you're going to be on set and everybody's going to turn and look at you, <laughs> and you got to have answers. Uh, and so I kind of was thrown into the deep end of the pool of leadership in, uh, in, that, in that job. And that, that helped me to formulate this character, I'd say. Sonequa Martin-Green's Michael Burnham has a Star Trek moment with a powerful speech at the end of season one. How will that resonate into season two? It's the end of the journey of season one, but it will resonate in season two because it's not over. It's just the beginning of it, actually, um, because the redemption arc um, that we explored in season one continues. There was certainly some professional redemption. There was the reinstatement into Starfleet. There was the um, interpersonal redemption. You know, a lot of the people on the ship stopped looking at me like they wanted to kill me and, uh, forg- you know, forgave me and, and, and uh, obviously my loved ones and whatnot. Um, but um, what is most important um, is that Burnham forgives herself. Um, because as Burnham, I carry a tremendous amount of guilt and shame. Um, that's a sort of, um, that's, that's, a, that's a foundation in, in, in my heart, unfortunately, because of the tragic event of my parents being murdered and me, you know, essentially being responsible for that. So that then factors into your very identity as a child, and you carry that for the rest of your life. And so um, it's going to be very important that I forgive myself and realize that it is not about me denying my emotions because of my logic uh, training and upbringing, but it is also not about denying my logic so that I can uh, fulfill my emotions. Um, There's been a sort of waterfall happening, right? A sort of, um, you know, uh, bursting of the dam, if you will, Um, because for so long it was so shut down and closed off, and then it just sort of was opened up at the end of season six, or or episode six in season one, and now it's just bursting and bursting and bursting. And we're still sort of there in that place. And at this point now, I have to understand, I say to Sarek in, the pilot that uh, my emotions inform my logic, but now what I need to learn is Burnham is how my logic in- informs my emotions. Ethan Peck joins the second season as the iconic Mr. Spock. He recounts the process to play this famous half Vulcan. I had an audition sent to me um, that I almost didn't go on. Well, I had to make a tape in the beginning, 
and it was very challenging material and I had about 24 hours to do it and I was like I called my manager I was like I don't know if I should do this I don't know if I'm able to do a good job they're like just try just do it and thank goodness I did because I didn't know what it was for in the beginning um, and uh, they disguised all the materials they sent out to actors and uh, about three weeks later I, you know further along the process I figured out who it was and it was just like huh like never in my wildest dreams would I have guessed that it was that that I would be a part of this that that role would ever be available to me and so I kind of wandered into it Wilson Cruz's character of Dr. Hugh Cutler is in a unique place as we saw in season one and he comments along with Anthony Rapp who is chief engineer Paul Stamets on their relationship as it stands in season two Colbert um, is trying to reach Stamets throughout the whole time that he's uh, stuck in the mycelial network and um, he's not quite getting it and so I uh, I think that part of of it was to lure him right uh, lure him to me and then he has a tough time <laughs> with the fact that I'm before him and I think you know we create we recreated that scenario um, so that we can have a conversation so I could reach him to tell him the information that I needed to tell him in order to save the entire universe you're welcome um, and uh, multiverse but it was you know it, it it was a way in and then I had to like hammer it home like dude stop whining and crying get over there and save the world so that I can get out of here somehow someday. Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz talk about their relationship and how they met, and they even refer to a comic done on their story, and maybe what clues of that relationship lies ahead. Uh, well, there's a, I mean, I tell the story in episode seven of season one to Sinequa when, I'm, when we're dancing oh, about yeah, yeah. how we met. Um, there's also the wonderful comic that was released that, I mean, I know the comics aren't officially canon, but it is... It is accurate. an explanation. You know, it's a good, yeah. a good, and yeah, the, there's not, I mean, there's not a lot of content directly about that necessarily yet that we've seen in the season, but there is absolutely stuff about our relationship. Yeah, in the season. <laughs> well, we'll that. just leave yeah. it at that. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Wiseman Sylvia Tilly has grown up quickly in her role on Disco. I think I think I want to say that it's happening pretty quickly just because she's on a starship and things are happening and she has to you know kind of adapt and respond and be a working member of the crew to help make sure that we all survive and make you know complete our mission make discoveries that are uh, that we're what we're looking for so she's gonna have to grow up kind of quickly um, in order to function on the starship in a meaningful way um, but I do think you're gonna see like every brick that's laid in that journey. She's gonna learn hard lessons. Um, she's gonna encounter situations she doesn't know how to respond to, or she doesn't know how to make right. Um, and those are gonna be struggles, but with each, with each of those experiences, another brick is laid in, in her journey to hopefully someday becoming a captain. There is more of my Sci-Fi Talk doc series on Star Trek Discovery, so don't beam anywhere. <laughs> Back on Sci-Fi Talk Docs on Star Trek Discovery, as I examine Saru, who has unique movements and gestures that certainly make him more alien. Doug Jones told me about creating that part of Saru. Yeah, the challenge for me after 32 years of playing aliens and monsters and fantasy creatures is how do you make this one different than the others? Um, uh, so, so many things inform that. Uh, uh, he's, he's 
among the smartest characters I've ever played. Uh, he so he also is was a prey species on his home planet. I, th- I feel like he needs to. He's kind of like posturing himself to fit in and to be the very, very best. He wants to represent his his, his people well, so he, he has the behavior of a, of a of a very refined butler. Like you know what I mean. So uh, uh, so with that came a posture and and a gesturing that that, that was very prim and proper, I believe. And but the the shoes, those boots, those hideous boots that are painful but gorgeous to look at that create my hoof feet uh, that informed my posture even more so with where, where my hips are placed how my arms flow when I walk and, and how I stand when I'm standing still uh, thank heaven for Gersha Phillips and designing those boots because it's like that, that was like that's something I've not done before that start from the ground up Shazad Latif is the complicated Ash Tyler who has to live on being both human and Klingon due to experiments done by Mary Chifo's Laurel it's strange because now it's sort of it's sort of meshed. Right. So because now it's about his, you know, retaining these sort of memories and it's a it's a new breed. It's sort of like a new character again. Yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah. It's another iteration of what we've had before. So um, yeah, it's more it, it's more Tyler. But he can access those memories, but it's more it's just new. Now it's more about his relate the aftermath of his relationship with Morel and with Burnham and that that kind of thing. That's the focus. Mary Shifo, who commented briefly, says that there is a relationship, but with who? Ash Tyler or Vogue? Or both? You were saying earlier, it's like we definitely are in a relationship because we are there together and right. we are allies. Uh, that is very much what is explored, so I won't say too much, but I think that that is um, part, of, part of the struggle. But can she separate who Tyler is? She wants to, yes, and I. Uh, she's she's really trying to find a way to, yeah, to embrace this new identity because he is neither both nor Tyler, um, and she was viewing Tyler as a shell for a while. You know, like she really believed that both would overpower, and she just underestimated the power and integrity of the human spirit. And now she's having to come to terms with the fact that humans have a lot of integrity, and I think he embodies that quite literally. To complicate matters further, there's also Ash Tyler's relationship with Burnham. Here's Sonequa Martin-Green. That was a, a unique experience for Burnham. Um, I I had never been in love before uh, as Michael Burnham. That was the very that was the, a first love situation. A very new thing, you know, to, to go to a loving relationship from you know from from the you know sort of um, upbringing that I had. Um, and yes, this concept of love, I'm still learning about and still understanding, um, especially because um, the self love is something I'm still trying to. To, to, to learn and and Burnham actually um, may not even be completely conscious may not even be completely aware of that self-love and and what's um, and 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 how hard it really is to do it and and that and that that is the key I'm just saying I just know it's Sadiqua but that's what needs to happen <laughs> easily one of the most complicated Star Trek triangles ever did you ever notice that when Star Trek groups relationships in three, it always works out? Yeah, it's, you know, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and so on and so on. Alex Kurtzman is now the head showrunner, but he's really more than that. He's really guiding the future of Star Trek on CBS All Access. He explains the look and the scale of this series. Executive producer Heather Caden also comments. One of the things we took very seriously is that we're asking people to pay $10 to watch the show. 
And if, if we're going to ask people to pay that money to watch the show, then we better deliver them an experience that they can't get on normal network television for free. Um, I want to, we all want to, blur the line between movies and television. And Trek is the perfect way to do it because the, the canvas is so massive. So we've done a lot of things in season two that really kicked it up several notches from where we were even in season one. We switched to anamorphic film, so it's a totally different aspect ratio. It's a much bigger and wider aspect ratio. And for me, what that does is it, it, it makes everything bigger, but it also somehow increases intimacy. And it's one of those weird things that just happens with those lenses. Um, the visual effects in season two are insanely good, I think. Uh, I'm so proud of our VFX team. They've done so much work. And when I tell you that it takes eight months per episode, it really does. There's that much work that goes into the refinement of the visual effects. Uh, I would put our visual effects up against really anything. Marvel, Star Wars, anything. I think we're we're in a competitive space with them now. And I, and I'm still I, upset that they didn't get recognized. But yeah, this anyway. is my plug for our VFX folks <laughs> yeah. because they work so yeah. hard. Um, but I'm really proud of it, and uh, I'm I'm just proud of the work that everyone has done. And I got a big screen too. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> Good. You really like it. Speaking of Heather Caden, she talks about that there is a learning curve for doing this series in a unique way, streaming on CBS All Access. I mean, I think the beauty of television is you're, it's a constant living, breathing thing. So you get to learn as you go. And our show, you don't get to watch fans as it airs and then adjust as you go, which you can do, let's say, when you do a broadcast show. But for us, even, having done the first season, which we're all incredibly proud of, it was, I'm sure you've heard now, you've talked to everybody, but it was darker because you're at war. So for all of us to be able to say, okay, we've closed that chapter as great as it was, and now we can put that behind us and lighten it up a little and live with characters that who we can really explore their relationships more now that they've had so much time together so with that you get to have more emotional scenes with our characters that you didn't have as much time for and you hadn't earned last season. Alex Kurtzman talks about the themes for the sophomore season. There are several themes, but one of one of the themes is what happens when we give up our some of our freedoms um, to pr protect our borders. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean for us as people? Um, but I, I, I will say that. Both season one and season two for us has always been driven by emotional storytelling. That how do you make people feel and think? And that's what Trek does at its best. It's always done at its best. It raises great philosophical questions and you fall completely in love with the characters on the show and they become your family. And you come back every week to watch them to spend time with your family. And one of the things that's been so satisfying about this season is that while they were coming together as a bridge crew family, this season they really are a bridge crew family. And so we get to keep building on that. And much of the plot um, is going to end up testing uh, what it means to choose your family. Here we get a sense of what Spock's journey is this season, and it's definitely a journey. The clues were in the sides or audition pieces, and here is Ethan Peck. The character that was on the page, the page that I got very quickly, because um, uh, it's a, a guy who's what appeared to be someone who had never felt emotions and was trying to make uh, intellectual sense of them. 
and it seemed to me like sort of an existential crisis and I felt like I'm 32 and you know we all go through that around this age so I feel like that was kind of recent in my life repertoire so we have to have somewhere to go with him right and Nimoy's inimitable and Kinto played an alternate universe Spock right um, and so he's written on the page very differently and uh, slowly but surely he will become I think who we've come to love and adore in the original series with that I close the first episode of my documentary on Star Trek Discovery season 2 the first season took Star Trek I felt to a new level with a bigger scope and size and also the writing is there and the characters were strong the important thing is that the philosophy that Gene Roddenberry laid out initially is still there. Discovery's Federation is dealing almost in an adolescent-type phase. The journey is challenging, and the story still has Star Trek roots that hopefully will run very deep. Until next time, this is Tony Talata. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk. <laughs>